Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. Most Fridays, I re release one of my favorite conversations from the archive. So, unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just might get something completely different from it listening to it this time around. What I've learned and what I always say to them is that if I could go back, you know what you know about your child. And I want everyone to know that no one knows your child better than you. And I don't care how many letters are at the end of their name or how many years of experience they have in a specialized area. You are connected to that child in a way none of them will ever be. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today my guest is Tia Smith, a former business executive now in the trenches, mom of three, including at least one differently wired child, her 12-year-old vice exceptional daughter, who has a number of processing and learning differences, as well as being gifted. As I mentioned on a previous episode, I'm going to be bringing more episodes featuring conversations with other parents because I think it's important to hear how other parents whose children are wired differently in a variety of ways are carving out their own path. Tia is one of those parents who is relentless in her approach to figuring out how to best meet her daughter's needs. She also is going to tell us about her own roadblocks along the way of coming to terms with how differently wired her daughter was and coming to a place of accepting what is. Oh, and Tia is also an avid researcher, so make sure to visit the show notes page for this episode at tiltparenting.com slash session 67 for a list of Tia's favorite books addressing learning differences like dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia for both parents and kids. Before I get to the episode, a quick little public service announcement. Did you know that some of our production costs for the podcast are being offset by generous donations of listeners like you? We're now able to outsource our final post-production costs, which is fantastic and greatly appreciated as producing a weekly podcast is a little time-consuming. My goal is to eventually have all the post-production tasks outsourced. If you like what we're doing here at the podcast and you'd like to help us reach our goal, please consider making a small monthly donation. For as little as $2 a month, you can help us reach this goal. To support us, visit patreon.com slash And now I'll get on with the show. Hello, Tia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. Well, of course. And just I like to give a little inside scoop for listeners. Tia and I met when our children were newbies. They were infants. We were in a parenting group back in Seattle. And I think we must have met when our kids were like six weeks old or something like that, right? Exactly. (laughs) I think Asher was like a whole month older than my daughter. But yeah, (laughs) which back in those days was a big uh, was a big difference. But you've known Asher as long as anybody else has and same with me with your kids. And it's just been really interesting for me to kind of go through my journey, watching you go through your journey as we've kind of discovered who our kids are and how different they are from what we maybe thought they were going to be. So would you, just so listeners have more context for you and your story, tell us a little bit about your family makeup, who your kids are, and then about your differently wired child. Sure, absolutely. So we are a busy family of five. Uh, That is unless you count our Labradoodle puppy and our two geriatric cats that might up our count (laughs) there. But um, I'm married and 
At this point in time, I'm just staying home with the kids. I have three children, and my oldest daughter is 12. I have a 10-year-old son, and bringing up the rear is my youngest daughter, who is five. And um, all three of my children are currently attending different schools because we like to make it even more complicated (laughs) around here. (laughs) So my oldest daughter attends a private school that specifically meets her unique needs. My son is in uh, the public elementary school, although since he's in the gifted education program, which is not offered at our home elementary, he gets bused to another school. And then my youngest daughter just started kindergarten in our public neighborhood school. Yeah. So that's (laughs) kind of what I've got going on on a daily basis. (laughs) That is a lot of logistics right there. A lot of logistics, but you know, I mean, it's all good and somehow it all comes together. But yeah, it's it's a lot. You know, it's funny. You were just asking tell about your differently wired children. I'm I'm thinking about this and it's funny because as I've kind of gone through the process, I'm almost beginning to wonder if all three of them might be all differently Mm -hmm. wired Mm -hmm. somewhere or another, but I think you really want to know more about my child who is for sure differently wired. And that would be my oldest daughter, uh, my 12 year old. And she has a combination of characteristics that I guess kind of put her in this twice exceptional category, which is a term I learned about from you. heard of that before. I'm like, what? But basically, some of the diagnostic terms that have been offered to us to explain, I guess, her unique cluster of characteristics. Are you ready for the laundry list? Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> okay, because it's going to go on for a while. Um, <laughs> so she has been identified with um, dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, auditory processing disorder, inattention slash executive functioning weakness, sensory processing, and artistic giftedness. Luckily, these were not identified all at once. So yeah. I think I might have had a heart attack. But. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, with her too, I mean, some I've learned, you know, some children are maybe more severe in one of these categories. And for her, the tricky part is that she's just impacted in many of these different ways. And so when you put all that together and create a little soup, it makes it a little complex and kind mm-hmm. of it was difficult to discern what was really going on. And her profile is, you know, really one of the more challenging to remediate and support um, because of that. So we've got a lot of chicken in the egg figuring out sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I remember having a conversation with you maybe over lunch a long time ago when you were just discovering what I believe was the first thing was the the uh, dyslexia and the dysgraphia, which I had never heard of until you described that to me so many years ago. Was that the first thing that you kind of were t- tuned into? I think, gosh, we've been on such a long journey, and I won't belabor it for this conversation. But I think if I had to go back to it, the very first thing was the auditory processing disorder. But mm. that came out of we were first sent down kind of this vision therapy path by our well-meaning pediatrician. And, you know, I can go into that conversation later, Mm. (laughs) all that together. But kind of through that, the auditory piece kind of came through. And once we did that assessment, there were some remediations that were recommended. And that uh, professional just suggested, you know, if we didn't see, you know, progress soon, maybe we should think, you know, think about working more longer term with the speech language pathologist. And, And I felt like, you know, I had had experience with several professionals up until the speech language pathologist. And she was really the one who just, after working with our daughter for, gosh, probably a year, um, all of first grade, handed me a piece of paper one day with a couple of names on it and said, you know, I think 
If you ever want to get your daughter evaluated for dyslexia and maybe some other learning challenges, I would strongly recommend you call these people, you know, one of these people and, you know, we can really figure out how to help her when we learn more about her. And she was the first person that was kind of direct with me to say, you need to get your kid tested. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone else was like, oh, you know, she, I mean, she wasn't causing any problems. She worked hard in her little sessions. She's quite endearing as a person and people kind of tend to bond with her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no one was really that direct with me except for her. So once I got through her, then we got the rest. Then we got the dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia. We already had the auditory processing. That uh, psychologist wanted to wait on an attention diagnosis because she obviously had so much going on. And like I was saying, you know, these things weave together and impact each other. So it's very hard to separate out what's after and what isn't. And so after three years of um, remediation, not only working with specialists, but at a school geared towards this, when we went back for a reevaluation and some of these things were still coming up, that's when we got the inattention, exec functioning, and the sensory processing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite a laundry list there. It's longer than mine. That's uh, (laughs) a a lot going on. And I think, you know, what you said is so true that it's really confusing to figure out what goes with what and, you know, what is part of this and what is part of that. And yeah, it's it's very confusing. And I think it can make it tricky to know how to get your child support. So I know you and I know that you are you are someone who when you want something you you are know how to get it. You're a researcher, you're you're kind of very um, assertive and, and intelligent. And so what was that like for you? Because there is no really path for how to figure this out. How did you go about that? I just went in it into it. You know, when I need to learn something, you're right. I just go full for steam ahead. And I, if there's a book I haven't read, I, I will guarantee you I've probably heard of it. So I'm a voracious reader and I tacked it that way. I mean, I just, you know, consulted blogs and attended uh, lectures and just tried to learn everything that I could about it. I mean, I joke all the time. I mean, not only am I not an educator by background, I really kind of tried to get out of the psychology classes too. I mean, you know, I'm kind of like a business person. I was in advertising. Like, I'm just like, I don't understand any of this. I didn't even (laughs) understand these terms. I had no idea what they were talking to me about. So I really had to just go in there and learn more and learn more. And, you know, we're fortunate in this area to live um, where we have a school that is dedicated to serving bright children who have these language-based learning differences. And I really started to examine that school kind of almost right off the bat as, oh boy, maybe I need to look at this. And I was resistant at first. There was a lot that would require a lot more logistics. I mean, it was a big commitment financially. I'd have to take my daughter out of her social environment, you know, all those things kind of went into play. But, you know, it became really clear that she needed a more structured environment with direct, explicit instruction. And I kept learning and hearing that through all the research that I was doing. So I was like, okay, this is right here. This offers it all day long. And, you know, they really understand these kids. And not only that, they understand their parents as well. And so I think When you talk about navigating, I think that school and kind of the community there that I was so fortunate to be part of was was really helpful because you could bounce things that you were learning about off other people and they would share ideas too and what they had learned. And I think that's really kind of what saved me and said, okay, you know, I didn't have to re-explain my story every time. I could just jump right in with like, hey, what do you think? You know anything about this, you know, technique or this Mm -hmm. program or 
you know, and just kind of really attack it that way. So I had a lot of help. That's great. That's so fortunate. And to have access to those kinds of resources. I I had someone on the show recently who specializes in diagnosing and assessing 2E children. And, you know, she was just explaining how hard it is to find a school fit be- for these kids because they, they are so complicated, you know, and it's hard to, you know, it's, they don't fit into any mold, right? And so I'm just happy to hear that you found a spot that has been really a good fit for not just your daughter, but for your family. It's awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it that's been great. And um, in fact, it's been so great that she's going to transition out next year. So Ooh. that's, you know, scary to think about in itself. And that's safe for another day. But I guess that's the point of all of this is that she's at the point now where she has confidence in her abilities. She advocated this change herself by knowing who she is as a learner what she needs to be successful, what she can do when she runs up against a wall. Mm -hmm. They've helped her every step of the way at every age appropriate stage, develop those things. And what more could we possibly ask for, right? To help her become independent with those things. So, you know, we're going to be facing a huge transition and maybe that's a different podcast next year, but anyway, (laughs) I think, you know, we're excited for her and we're excited for the confidence that she has in herself. Yeah, that's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, we'll have to do a a follow up and see how it's going. (laughs) So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites? turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. 
The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off. If we can go back for a minute back to the early days, for me, I call them the dark days. But, Uh you know, I'm curious about two things. One is, what was it about what was going on with your daughter that made you recognize something, you know, isn't right, or she's not thriving, or we need we need more here. And then I'm curious to know also for you personally, like, what was that like? coming to that realization that, oh, this is not going to be the way I thought it was going to be. You know, I think we first started to, so our family, when she was four, moved overseas to Brazil for a couple years. Mm -hmm. So she, you know, went to a Montessori school there in Brazil, which was, you know, what we had been doing for preschool uh, here in Seattle. So we thought, okay, well, that's going to be at least kind of consistent. You know, we knew, oh, it's going to be a change, you know, whatever. She's always been sensitive, you know, and I don't, when I look back now, I don't think I realized at that time, the degree to which she was, Hmm. especially sensory wise. Now I'm like, oh, why didn't I just get it? But anyway, but when she was in Brazil, a lot of things started coming up. She had a really tough adjustment, and I don't think it was just the language, although now knowing what I know, I mean, if you think it's tough to kind of process your own language, imagine then being barraged with another language. Mm, I think she was just confused beyond belief, and there were a lot of outbursts, a lot of tears. She, you know, she was four, so she was fully potty trained day and night and had been since she was like three Well, that after about six months being there, that regressed and she started having, you know, accidents at night and unexplained. I mean, we went to the pediatrician. There's nothing wrong with her. There's nothing. And he just kind of told me there, oh, well, this must just be emotional. I'm like, oh, great. Now, what am I going to do with that? Mind you, there's no like pull-ups in Brazil. You know, so I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this every night? But anyway, so we kind of started seeing that. And then when she was in a kindergarten year there... Uh, which they started her early again, because she's a native English speaker. So they wanted her in there, even though she's a young, she was a young one. And I was like, are you sure? And, you know, so we're like, okay, well, that's fine. And that was in a very structured Catholic little, it was the American school kind of, but it was more very structured, but they would sit on the floor holding these clipboards and they'd have to like copy, you know, kind of copy what was written up on the whiteboard or whatever onto their little paper. And I remember at the conference that we had, the first conference, and they were showing us Campbell's work, and it just looked like gibberish. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? I I mean, have you ever seen this before? And the answer was no. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) all right. And then I just, but they, you know, but then the, you know, learning specialist or the reading specialist was like, no, she's got a great grasp on sounds and whatever. But I'm like, you know, again, she's Brazilian. And so she had a, you know, of course, Campbell sounded great, right? I think Mm -hmm. from compared to the other kids that she was trying to work with and get the sounds of the English language to come together, you know, Campbell Mm -hmm. had that. 
And then I remember they would be giving these little homework things. And I remember sitting there for an hour and a half, and I'm not exaggerating, writing a page of lowercase eyes. And I was just like, okay, something, this is not right. But I was like, oh, forget the homework. I told the teacher we're not doing the homework. <laughs> you know, she's young, whatever. But that was kind of the first inclination that something was going on. And then she's an artist, and we would see her doing, you know, these amazing three-dimensional drawings and she at the same time would write words and the entire thing she was writing would be in the mirror image, everything, her name, everything, wow. not just reversing a couple letters. And when we came back to the States and went to our pediatrician, our lovely pediatrician, we both went to who was fabulous. And I was explaining this to him and, you know, I was like showing what we noticed in her writing, what happened in Brazil, her artwork, this emotional regulation and sensitivity. And you know, during the conversation, he just sort of remarked that he thought it was completely cool that she was doing all this. He did recommend vision therapy, but he was like, oh, that's so cool. And I was oh, thinking, is, it, is that cool? Because I'm <laughs> not sure. Um, and then he just kind of was like, well, you know, I, she's always been, you know, identified as a sensitive child. And that's kind of part of who she was. And, and then kind of I got the zinger to the heart in that conversation. And he really just leveled it to me and said, you know, Tia, sometimes you just have to love the child you have. And it was all I could do to get out of that office yeah. for years. I mean, I guess I was super confused about what, if anything, we should be doing to support her. I mean, no one seemed to be taking any of my concerns really that seriously. Not doctors, not teachers, not other professionals at this point in time. Just kind of even friends and family kind of dismissed or at the very least minimized my concerns. So I was confused about that. I was frustrated. And then I was kind of beyond insulted when I thought what he was telling me was that I didn't lo even love my child properly. Right. That is just such a hard place to be when you know something's going on and then other people are normalizing it. And it makes you feel like you're kind of crazy, you know, or paranoid or something. It's really yeah. difficult. But you know, you knew something was happening. You know, and yes, and I, if I look back now, and this is something I say to, you know, I meet with a lot of people who are just kind of starting to begin this discovery process as, um, you know, I've done a lot of the research, you know, so I think I'm kind of a little bit of a resource for some people and I just talk with people or whatever. And what I've learned and what I always say to them is that if I could go back, you know what you know about your child mm -hmm. and I want everyone to know that no one knows your child better than you. And I don't care how many letters are at the end of their name or how many years of experience they have in a specialized area. You are connected to that child in a way none of them will ever be. And so I just wish I would have been able to harness that at that time. And I mean, I know that's not probably part of the process and I wouldn't have gotten to that if I hadn't been through all that. But I just think that's such an important point for all of us to remember mm -hmm. as we're raising these kids, which yeah. is even if a million people diagnose or tell you something, if it doesn't feel right or whatever, question that, mm -hmm. dig into it more, do what you need to do because you know. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. It's so true. And we do tend to, I don't know, you can feel very vulnerable when you are relying on other people and then yes, something doesn't feel right. And yeah, that idea of questioning things always is so important. So important. And I think, you know, as you were, as we're talking through this, I mean, I think the other thing that's kind of the obvious elephant in the room, but is, is fear. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I was so plagued by fear. I couldn't even see straight sometimes. And sometimes I still am. 
I mean, I was afraid of not finding the answers I wanted. At the same time, I was, I was afraid of actually finding the mm. answers that I might not want to hear. I was afraid she would never be able to read. And so not only did that make me afraid for what would the rest of her life be like, but, you know, since I'm such a reader, I thought she's going to miss out on so much, mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. how is this going to work? And I was afraid she would be judged for spelling and not her brilliant ideas. <laughs> you know, I was afraid life would be harder and she wouldn't be independent. You know, I mean, I could go down the list, Debbie. I mean, you're going to think I'm a freak. Oh, I, my list will match yours, I'm sure, line for line. It was like, wait, this is going to impact her college and her professional options. I mean, she's five at the time, okay? And even, but even now she's only 12. I still, this still comes up for me. Mm-hmm. I was afraid people would not get to know her for her talents, her intelligence, how kind and compassionate she is, but only for the things that she struggled with, mm-hmm. you know? I was afraid we did not know what to do for her. And, I was afraid she would know I was afraid. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so then you just have to do it all right, right? Like talk about putting pressure on yourself. So much pressure on myself. Yeah. And it took, you know, a conversation with a dear friend who just kind of said, all right, look, fear is just fear. Let's take that off the table. Let's put that in a bucket mm-hmm. and let's, you know, channel your energies in a different direction. And I think that was a really good turning point for me to be like, okay, all right, this is going to be okay. But it was, you know, it was really real. And it really kind of fueled what I was doing for a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Well, how is going through that experience and having to face those fears? How has that kind of transformed you personally, you know, as a mom, as a woman? Yeah, I mean, I think those fears, I mean, I think those fears also lend you sometimes to a lonely place in this process. I'm sure you've experienced this as well. I Mm -hmm. haven't talked to a single person who hasn't because this is a lonely place. But I think those fears and that lonely place kind of going through that and processing that so much on on my own, really, it almost helped me learn to let go. Hmm. And I think when I learned that, and I'm still not perfect because, right, tomorrow there'll be a new thing that pops up and I'll, ha- I'll have the freak out again. Yeah. But, you know, at this point in time, I think I was able to let go of my own hopes and dreams for how I wanted her life to unfold and recognize that, you know, she's here to chart her own path in a way I could have never, ever conceived of. Mm-hmm. And I bet it's going to be better than I could have imagined, you yeah. know. And so I think that has been really life changing for me. I think I've just realized, you know, my role is really to help um, support her, you know, steer her, guide her. I don't need to fix everything for her. Mm -hmm. She does not need fixing. She might need support. She might need an advocate, you know, advocacy role from time to time. But, you know, she's going to be okay. And I think I really do believe that now. And I see her change in herself and just how she's evolved to know that, yes, there's so much hope. And not only can they overcome some of these things, they'll always be part of their makeup. And there's no shame in that. But Mm -hmm. they can overcome some of those things and work through them to realize either how to overcome them or how to harness their strengths to sort of do things a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that has just been really helpful and has changed me for sure in my outlook. Yeah. With everything, not not just her. You know, I have two other kids too. So I think that's helped with that. Yeah, that was actually gonna be my next question. I am curious how going through what you went through has impacted the way that you parent your other two kids. 
Yes, for sure it has. You know, it's something that's been tough because, well, at the, at the one hand, I learned how hereditary these things are. And so when I had my son, I mean, I had him tested in first grade. I was like, I'm never going to go through that terrible period that I went through. It felt like an eternity of not knowing and not knowing what to do, not knowing what was going on, not knowing how to help her. So I just was like, you know what? There's a 50-50 chance that he's got some of this. Mm-hmm. That siblings across, like that's that hereditary, that if a sibling has like, for example, dyslexia, there's a 50% chance other siblings will as well. Mm-hmm. It can be mild. It can be, di- you know, just like it's on a spectrum like anything else. Anyway, so I had him tested right away. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure people are like, why are you having your kid tested? But they don't know, they they couldn't relate to where I had been. And I never wanted to endure that again. I was like, you know what, if there's something we have to address, now I know we can address it. Once you know, information is power and you yep. can do something about it. And so I, you know, I did that for him and we're kind of in the stages now of looking at my youngest daughter and I have learned that even as early as the age of four, if you see certain signs and and you have this in your family, it's not that early to start peeling back the onion and certainly testing them by kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So she'll likely be tested next year as well. And that's just, that's just that part of it. But I think on a broader scale, I mean, it's really changed the way, not changed, because I don't know that we knew that much about it, but um, we really try to work really hard to value the learning process over overall and not just the outcome. So we talk with our kids about effort and attitude. And to my husband and I, um, they know those two things are the, the things we care about the most. Like, I don't care what your report card says when you come home. Like, did you give it your best effort? You know, were you polite? Were you a good friend? Were you, you know, things like that. So mm-hmm. we don't want them overly focused on outcomes because that could lead down a, a slippery slope, certainly for our oldest and for the others too. And so I think this has allowed us to start those conversations really early on with our whole family. And I think it kind of helps to keep the sibling rival- rivalry at bay too, when we're talking about, you know, hey, you know, it was really great how hard you worked on that. Or remember how frustrated you were when you were trying to do that math problem and you somehow found a way to tackle it or, you know, Hey, you really helped your friend understand something or, you know, those two friends make up with each other when they were in a fight or whatever it is. We kind of try to praise that part of it. Not just, you know, Oh, you got them all right. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. 
The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. By the time this airs, I think this episode will have aired, I interviewed Dr. Robin Silverman, and we spoke specifically about character and how to how to, you know, bring that into conversations. And it sounds like you're doing such a great job. I love that effort and attitude. That is what you your kids know is important to you. And the way that you're talking about it and reinforcing that is really cool to hear. Yes, well, hopefully, it's, you know, it feels like it's the right thing for us. And, you know, we're just kind of going with that. I don't know. But it seems like it's the better way versus, you know, I think the other conversations would be tricky and possibly frustrating for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any kind of, um, I don't know, just I'm thinking of parents who are listening to this who are going through this with their own kids. Like, are there any strategies that you personally have used to support yourself or strategies you've used to support your kids as you're, you know, navigating this path? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, like what we were just saying is like, I think we kind of try to you know, first focus on like a strength based approach. So um, I think that's kind of overarching. But I guess one is really recognizing when we don't know what to do, or how to help and then finding someone or something that does, and kind of going with that. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what you're saying, where the researcher and me has been really helpful that say, okay, you know, we can, you know, there's someone who knows something about this, or, you know, we don't know what to do and asking for help. And it's amazing how many times when we've done that, the right person has kind of shown up. Mm -hmm. We found a great therapist who uh, specializes in kids with, you know, her profile. And that's been helpful for us as a family. We, like I said, I think we really try to also harness her strengths. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I mentioned she's an incredible artist. And we've learned over the years that actually, she communicates through her art. I know that might sound really obvious, but I'm sorry. I'm a verbal person. So <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I just started to realize that like sometimes when we're having these conversations or things aren't going well and she'll just be sitting there and she'll just be kind of drawing and, and doing something. And she's very relaxed and Zen when she's in this place. I now know this. And that was really important to learn about her. 
that when conversations were going south and spiraling downward and she's just kind of drawing, a lot of times we get through all that and she, you know, we leave her be and do her own thing. And sure enough, she could come back and, you know, talk to us about what she had drawn. Mm-hmm. And it could be about a conflict she had with her brother or anything, really anything, something she's trying to tell us that maybe verbally wasn't coming through for her. And so we use that now. Yeah, it's great. Why don't you take a few minutes and draw? You know, we give her what I call her blank space, mm-hmm. her, her Taylor Swift moments, which is, <laughs> you know, giving her that downtime to do that process. That's how she processes. And I think that's just so important for us to know now about her that like you can, you can communicate in so many different ways. I was like, oh, Art, you know, you never really know what they're saying, but actually how she does it, we do. So we steer her towards that. And that's been a very helpful strategy in supporting her and um, us to be able to have a more productive conversations in the end and understand each other. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably a third strategy that I know you talked about in your workshop, but at home, we kind of call it the art of the pause. And that took a long time for me to learn. And I learned this from the therapist initially, but I was astounded by how much that helps of just taking whatever that is for you, whether you're going into another room for a few minutes, a couple of deep breaths, just waiting before you respond. Yeah. In a moment or even giving her a moment to say, you know, we don't have to address this right now. Let's do this, you know, and that, that changes everything. Yes. (sighs) Deep breaths. They're amazing what they can do in a moment, huh? And sometimes, you know, I'm not, I'm not that type of person naturally. I'm more like likely to try and kind of charge ahead and get something done. And so that's a, a place I have to really force myself to sort of be present and do that mm-hmm. versus just trying to be like, oh, no, just this once. It's fine. Let's keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it seems like it's going to be harder, take longer. And in the end, it always is more efficient when you do that. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other ways that you've had to be or not had to be that you've been creative in trying to support how your child is wired. I mean, I love that you now incorporate her art as, uh, you know, how to kind of get in touch with what's going on or express how she's feeling. Any other kind of creative things that you've done to support her? I mean, I think those things, I think sometimes, you know, she's also, you know, responds really well to music. So sometimes, you know, if she's trying to memorize something, you know, she'll kind of make up a song about it, you know, so we kind of encourage her to use those tools that seem to work for her. I Mm -hmm. think that's, I guess, ultimately, and you know, we've really kind of just jigsaw puzzled her life. So she has this school that she goes to with kind of a separate group of friends. And we she's also a swimmer. And that's a, a way that she I guess I would describe it maybe gets to feel like she's a normal kid. I mean, like that has nothing to do with her day in her school or her things who struggle with, you know, Mm -hmm. and if anything, it's a great avenue for her to kind of release and she does a lot of processing swimming up and down that black line. Mm -hmm. It seems so boring to so many people, but she really, it's like, she just needs that process and doing that and a whole separate group of friends that know nothing about her. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, kind of cool how we've just been able to kind of do that for her. And yeah. Well, I, I've written this down a couple of times throughout our conversation is the word fluency. And that's something that I talk a lot about in Tilt is just this idea of becoming fluent in your child's language. And it sounds like you are, you know, your child's language pretty well at this point. And that is such a gift, I think, because 
when we take the time to figure out how not only how they're communicating to us, but how they can best receive our communication, that can be so transformative and really just positively change things for the family. And it sounds like you're doing a great job of that. Well, sometimes yes, and sometimes no, but yes, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) The fact is that I'm really grateful for the understanding that we have gleaned over the years. I mean, I guess I just never knew becoming a parent was going to lead to this. I just thought, oh yeah, how cute. I would love to have a bunch of kids and like, it'll be so fun. It it is. (laughs) But I was like, oh wow, there's, uh, there's also other parts to it. And it's, you know, you wear your heart on your sleeve a lot, you know, with these little guys. And it's hard to see um, mm. the struggles and still have those. Like, we'll always in some ways, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess we all have that, but some of it's a little more real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tia, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and all your wisdom with us. And I'm excited to be just bringing this to to the podcast. I haven't had too many guests on who's kids are dealing with some of these issues, although it is something I know a lot of our audience have kids who have learning differences. And so I just really appreciate you taking the time to, to share this with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. And, you know, I just love your podcast. And, you know, on on the same lines, you know, I kind of have my tribe that I've collected here of people who, you know, parents who are going through the same things we are from our school and other ways. And, I've sent them all your podcast and they all just love it too. So I think, you know, you're just really connecting with people who need it most. So I think you're doing amazing work. Thank you. That's so nice to hear. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including Tia's favorite books from her bookshelf dealing with learning differences written for both parents and kids, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 67. If you haven't yet done our free virtual Differently Wired 7-Day Challenge, I strongly encourage you to give it a try. The challenge features short daily videos and a private Facebook group, all centered around helping parents be intentional and purposeful in parenting their atypical kids. The challenge is free and it's ongoing. If you want to join more than 500 other parents who've already gone through the challenge, you can sign up at tiltparenting.com slash 7-Day. And lastly, if you like what you heard on today's episode and you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or leaving a review. Both these things help our podcast get more visibility. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.